Thanks so much for joining us here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's all about you and that wallet of yours. I want you to learn ideas from me so you can save more and spend less, and don't let anyone ever rip you off. And speaking of rip-offs, there's an ugly reload going on right now. That's a scam where people who already got taken are about to get scammed again. I'm going to fill you in in a few moments in today's Clark Rage. And also in the scam area, do you know how easy it is when you're moving to get ripped off? I'm going to share with you the steps to take to reduce the chances that your wallet gets shredded when you're moving from place to place. Right now, I want to talk about something that is a constant refrain on our show from the callers we have on our show, and that's people that are dealing with federal student loans. And it is my hope that we're at a point now where people entering school today and in the next several years will approach college completely differently. And that's become even more important because federal student loan rates are tracking upward because of general interest rates in the economy that affect what you pay on student loans. So federal student loans have been relatively a deal for the last nine years. And that deal is going away bit by bit. This year, for this fall class, taking out Stafford's, it's going to cost about 5%. They were 3 point something just maybe, was it two years ago? Graduate student loans, 6.5% approximately. And PLUS loans, those are the ones that graduate students may take out past what they can take out in a Stafford. A lot of graduate students take out huge amounts of that. Parents do PLUS loans for undergraduate loans for various purposes. Those are going to be probably above 7.5% when the official lending period starts for this fall. So a significant increase in those rates. And so the carry cost of carrying student loans getting worse is going to be uglier for the wallet. The most important student loan to take out is actually the one you don't take out. I know that's a crazy way to say that because I'm always asked, you know, what student loan should I do? How should I pay for school? And my attitude is to change the narrative, change the conversation, and choose a school that will be cheaper or a way to go through that school that's cheaper. Many people benefit from being able to get education through a commitment to military service or in any of a number of capacities in public service, working for employers that have tuition reimbursement plans. Any way other than taking out a pile of student loans. And I've talked about one strategy so often, people quote it back to me like by rote. 
They'll say, I know you say to spend the first two years at community college. And I'm, I smile every time I hear somebody say that because that means I'm starting to have impact with my strong belief that one of the ways to greatly reduce the amount of money borrowed for college is to make, at a minimum, the first two years of college far, far more affordable. So know that you're staring down an incredible obligation if you go to an expensive school that you have to borrow money for for an entire undergraduate or graduate program and that money becomes a handicap, a hazard to your financial health after the education as you engage in the career that got you that education. I don't know if you've noticed, but I have a pattern. We all have patterns. And I ask over and over again, when somebody's calling me who has a, a big amount of student loan debt, and I ask pretty much every time, was it worth it to take on the level of debt you did for the degree you got? And it's a mixed opinion I get back, but uh, pretty heavily it's people who say, no, if I had it to do over again, I wouldn't have done this program, I wouldn't have borrowed that much, or whatever. Learn from those who've come before you to not go through the same financial cycle they're going through. Russell is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Russell. Hey, Clark. How are you? Great. Thank you, Russell. How can I be of service? Well, I've heard you talk about this before, but I can't remember exactly what you said, so I hope you can give me a refresh. My wife and I are both 50, and we've always had term life insurance, and it's time to renew. So I'm trying to figure out if I should pick a 20-year or a 30-year term life policy or pick a 20-year and start with the long-term care policy. Wonderful question. So right around 50 years old, when are you going to retire? Um... I don't really know. 70, maybe. Okay, so there is no specific trend line you're on towards a target date to retire. Right. So in your case, if you could qualify for a 20-year level term, that would be great. However, if the 20-year level term is cost prohibitive, go with a 15. Because okay. a lot of the insurance companies will give you a uh, such a huge break in price for an insurance policy that ends, you know, around sixty-five versus one that runs to age seventy. And the purpose okay. the purpose of the insurance, each of you having a policy for the benefit of the other, is replacement of income in the event one of you passes away. As you get closer right. and closer to your targeted point that you expect, you think you'd retire, then the replacement of income of the amount we're talking about may be less important. Right. It would mainly be for paying off houses, paying off cars, any other credit cards, anything else. How we far along are you with well your established? We already have well-established 401ks, retirement plans, so I think we're fine there. It's just paying off things that are debt now. And how far along are you with the mortgage? 
Uh, we just recently renewed our, our uh, redid it. It was a 15-year. I think we're 12 years in, left, 12 years left. That's great. So in your early 60s, that financial pressure will be gone. Right. And with cars, you know, once you decide to retire, you're not going to be commuting anymore like you were. The miles driven tends to drop a lot unless you become a real over-the-road person seeing every national park in America. And so... That's a goal, maybe. (laughs) Well, I love that. But the odds are that you'll be in a position where you won't have either a car payment or a mortgage payment. Right. So listening to you and what you've done to this point, I think if you looked at 15-year level terms, that might be the good compromise. And then you might likely have the money to go ahead and consider a long-term care policy, although you're younger than I usually recommend for shopping for a long-term care policy. So like, when, you know, look, when should I start looking for that? Late 50s, early 60s. Now, you okay. can end up not qualifying medically because of a condition that could happen medically in your 50s. But the thing is, the market has been very unstable for long-term care insurance, and everything's a matter of making the best decision you can based on the odds and circumstances. And so I would prefer that you not devote money to that for now and look at it seven, eight years from now. All right. Sounds like a good plan. Thank you. And best to both of you, shopping for long-term care uh, for long-term care insurance will likely be a clearer process then. And on the level term insurance, that already is much easier probably from when you took out your original um, term life insurance policies years ago. Now with the ability to shop and even purchase immediately online from more and more insurers. Paul is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Paul. Hello. How's it going, Paul? Clark, it's going well. Great. Paul, so, how can I serve you? I have a, um, I'm 47 years old, and um, I know that, you know, I need to do something for retirement. And I'm looking for financial advice, um, but I have a hard time trusting financial advisors I know or know of, say. Uh, It just doesn't seem like they would always have my best interest in mind. And so I'm curious if there's a good way to go about picking somebody you trust or, you know, how how do we find that out? Well, let's first see if you need someone yet. Okay. What have you been doing to this point to save for retirement? I have a, uh, my wife and I both have a 401k um, with, our, with our jobs. Um, I have universal life insurance, and other than that, that's about it. All right, well, one we thing. We own our home. We, you know, we, we have a mortgage on our home, but that's, you know. Well, one thing that I would say would be a priority for you to do now and stick with till the moment you retire is if you can afford it, in addition to the 401k, I want you doing a Roth IRA. Okay. And you don't need a professional to pay anybody to tell you what I just told you. <laughs> okay. You know, you just go open a Roth IRA with one of the low-cost, commission-free companies. And I've got a list of them on Clark.com on my investment guide. 
Okay. And if you want to keep it the simplest, just go to one of them and open a target retirement fund for the year you intend to retire. Are you thinking of retiring somewhere like around age 65? Is that what you're thinking? Probably, yes. All right, so we got 17 years. That would put you like in a uh, target retirement fund uh, 2035. Okay. And so you just put the 5500 each or as much as you can up to that amount in there. And then once each of you turn 50, you can increase that to $6,500 in a year. Okay. Because you're at the point in your life and your career where it's really about the accumulation phase. If you're participating in the 401k, and is there an employer match either of you have? Yes. Yes. It's, uh, I'm doing the maximum, and it's uh, 5%, and they contribute 3%. So all you, so you're putting in 5% or you're Correct. putting in beyond that? I am putting in 5 and then right in then the employer matches 3. All right. So 5% is yeah. not going to be enough to create comfort in retirement. Right. So I magnify the emphasis on you doing the Roth IRA. Okay. And the advantage of that is at the 401k you have with your employer, that is a pre-tax pile of money. Yes. If you simultaneously build up a post-tax pile of money in a Roth IRA, that would be a great combination. Okay. The time in your life when you'll need a financial planner is not to pick investments for you, but much more to look at your overall picture, have clear goals you're trying to achieve, like we want to do blah, blah, blah by the time we're this age. And that's where that individual can really help. And if you go with a fee-only person that you pay him or her strictly for his or her advice, you don't have to worry about somebody who's going to put you in junk because they're just trying to cheat you. I see. And I I, kind of gasped a little bit when you told me you had a universal life policy. Those are usually trash. Okay. And they're very expensive trash. Okay. So I'd like for you to Uh, use a service called evaluatelifeinsurance.org. I'll repeat that for other people, evaluatelifeinsurance.org, and you'll have to pay a hundred or so dollars to have an analysis run of that policy to see if you should keep it or not or use any form of conversion privilege that's in it. Because those things are generally really, really lousy, rotten things. It's time for today's Clark Rageous Moment. This one is very important to your wallet. So many people have ended up in the clutches of those scamsters that ransom your computer, that say that uh, you need tech support, they claim to be from Microsoft, all that, and maybe they got your credit card number out of you and tried to put through a charge, and then you disputed it, and you avoided that? Well, now there's a reload scam that the AARP Fraud Watch Network wants you to be fully aware of. What a reload is, is where you've already been taken once. The crooks come back and try to take you again. So what's happening with this where... The people pretend they're from Microsoft and all that, and they just con your wallet. Is they are now, when you've uh, disputed it, not paid them, whatever, 
they are now calling you pretending to be from a law firm and saying that you have to pay them now. You, if you don't pay them, they are threatening legal action against you and know that this is 100% completely bogus, 100%. Do not ever engage any of these people in conversation. If you receive what looks like a threatening letter from a law firm about this, it is, I can't say 100% it's bogus, but it is 99.9999% bogus, and do not engage in any response or conversation whatsoever. Great to have you here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you keeping more of what you make. This is the time of year that Americans are on the move, not just on vacations, but moving from one place to another, maybe for a different job, maybe so the kids can go to a different school district, whatever it is, we overwhelmingly move in the summer. And I need to give you clear warning that the moving industry has a lot of rogue players and bandits. And it has been a problem for at least a generation. I've had complaints about rogue movers my entire career that goes back on the air to the mid-1980s. That's how long movers have represented a real risk to your wallet. Over the years... I've had call after call after call from the rants about people whose things have been in the control of ransom movers. If you're not familiar with ransom movers, I need to make sure you know there are any of a number of criminal players, there are those that believe that these are mobsters, that these are mob fronts, where you will get a quote for a move often over the phone from a very chatty, friendly kind of individual, often from an organization using a name similar to a real mover, give you a quote, people show up just like when they're supposed to, and they're very careful with your possessions. And you're like so impressed how they're handling moving things out of your house. Because then they kidnap your possessions kidnap them and hide them in a nondescript warehouse who knows where and then hit you with a ransom demand based on the quality of your furnishings the value of them how much money it looks like you have and they'll try to hit you into the tens of thousands of dollars and ransom to get your own things back if you don't pay the ransom they then sell off your possessions for what they can get for them, and they're never seen again. The worst part is, remember, they were completely phony, and you have no way really to track them or trace them. Federal government is supposed to do oversight of the moving industry, but does not. So it is completely the Wild West. So you need to know things that you can do to protect yourself. Number one, if you're hiring a traditional mover for a state-to-state move, 
you want to limit your search for a mover to what's known as a pro mover. It is an industry self-regulatory program that you can learn about at moving.org. And you go to moving.org and you'll see info on pro movers and stick only with one of the certified pro movers. Doesn't mean they'll be great to your stuff. Doesn't mean they won't break things. Doesn't mean they'll show up and deliver exactly when they should. But it means you're dealing with a legit mover and that in the event that there are items that are in dispute, there's a process for resolution they've agreed to be part of. With any mover, and remember I want you only with a pro mover, you must get something known as a binding estimate. They don't want to give you that. They'll give you something that looks like an estimate worth nothing. The only thing that matters in the moving industry is a binding estimate. That means that the price quoted is the price you will pay, not a penny more. If you just get an estimate, they can lowball you and then say any amount of money they want to get the job, and then once they deliver, say, oh, you now owe us $4,400 extra dollars. And you're like, wait, wait, wait. You told me it was going to be $6,100. Yeah, but that was just an estimate. <laughs> That's why you got to know the word binding, binding estimate that binds them to the price they have quoted. Second, you must buy insurance on your possessions. The insurance limits that a mover must provide have not been updated in 80 years. The coverage you get is would cover less than 1% of the goods you're moving that the feds require. So you need to buy coverage either from the mover or from your own homeowner's insurer. You want to buy, if you buy from the mover, you want to buy replacement value coverage. That means you don't get into an argument about what they're saying the value is of something that went lost or was stolen or broken. They have to replace it with a new item. To hold the premium down, go with a $250 deductible on your move. So the first $250 of lost, stolen, or broken stuff comes out of your pocket. Beyond that, it's coming out of the mover's pocket or their insurer. And take the time to get multiple binding quotes in order to protect yourself. When you're getting quotes, ask the following question. Is it cheaper if I move a week earlier? Is it cheaper if I move on a Tuesday instead of on a Saturday? Ask those questions. You know, with rental trucks, if you're going to do your own move, there's enormous differences based on dynamic demand pricing. Different companies you'd rent a truck from are going to charge you based on what their demand is at that time in your city on that day. So the more you shop and the more options you present, the better you're going to do. Apartment renters know this by heart because if you move on the last weekend of the month, you're going to pay top, top dollar to rent a truck. On the other hand, if you can flex on your move, you may do better, such as 
it can be worth it potentially to pay two extra weeks rent to your existing landlord and sign your lease with the new landlord effective, let's say, the 14th of the month or 15th and move mid-month and save lots of money. Marlene is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Marlene. Oh, hi, Clark. Um, Thank you very much for taking my call. Absolutely, Marlene. How can I serve you? Well, you seem to address everything that I was um, questioning. My daughter is moving from um, Detroit to L.A., and um, I went online, and there's a lot of services there. But I thought I'd call you. So you heard my guidance on the mover, but does mm-hmm. she have enough stuff for a whole house move, or how much stuff is well, she actually Well, really take? and truly, she doesn't have anything except a car. Oh. Her car has 126,000 miles on it, so we don't want to drive it there. We'd rather just have it transported. Oh, well, that business has gotten a lot more customer-friendly in the last five years. And now your daughter can get a quote online for someone that will move the vehicle for her. And there's a huge business of companies that move vehicles from one place to another in the country because Mm -hmm. eBay Motors created this big marketplace where people will live one place and buy a vehicle from someone someplace else. And so there's all these independents that move vehicles around the country. And she can put that out for bid pretty easily at a website called Uship, the letter U, ship.com okay do you and you see ratings on people you're going to consider hiring and you set up an auction period where the price will go down as people more people enter the picture who want the business to pick up her Mm -hmm. vehicle and drop it because they're not just picking hers up and taking across the country they're nomadically moving around the Midwest picking up vehicles and then dropping them off as they head west. Maybe somebody's getting a car delivered to Denver and somebody else to Salt Lake and on like that. And eventually her car makes it to L.A. Okay. And so because they're moving so many different people's vehicles across the country, it's almost like a carpool for Mm -hmm. relocating cars. The prices are more reasonable than you might think. But do you know how much is her vehicle worth at this point? You said it has over 100,000 miles on it. Mm-hmm. Um, we haven't checked to see how much it's worth. You should check. what mo- How many model years back is it? It's a PT Cruiser. And so do you know how, how many years ago it was made? Like is it an 05, 08? Uh, 07. 07. Mm-hmm. You know, it may not pay to move an 11-model-year-old car. Mm-hmm. So what I'd like you to do is go on edmunds.com, E-D-M-U-N-D-S.com, and Kelly Blue Book, which is kbb.com, mm-hmm. and see what the remaining value of that PT Cruiser is. And if, okay. it's, and if it's low enough, gosh, it may make more sense for her to sell it and then buy an older car when she gets to L.A., and then she doesn't have to worry about transport. Well, I told her that also, but for some reason she wants that car. Well, then let her 
uh, see what the cost is on you ship, and then maybe she'll see it your way and my way. Okay, maybe. She's pretty headstrong, huh? She's pretty headstrong and wanting to take it because she's had a lot of problems with it, and I thought, well, let's just sell it and just get another one. Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> she's having a lot, had a lot of problems with the car. She's had a lot of problems with it. Lately. 11 yeah. model years old, has a lot of problems with it. Mm-hmm. And so because of that, she wants to take it? She wants to take okay, it. Okay, have her call me. <laughs> okay. Seriously, I, I'll talk to her about it. And hopefully I can convince her that that's just not a good plan and she shouldn't take it. Oh, man. Joyce is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Joyce. Well, hi, Clark. How are you? Great. Thank you. Joyce, you are in a situation I found myself in at one point with my mom. Mm-hmm. What's going on with her? Well, she um, had you know saved up some money, about 150000 over the years and um, was in independent living and then had some issues and is, not, is now in a nursing home. So little by little, we are, you know, digging through that money and spending it. But what they have told me is, okay, when she runs out of money, if she's still here, we'll just put her on assistance and she's good to go. She doesn't have to move or do anything different. So my question is, what am I saving all this money for then? Well, uh, you mean for you, for your future? Well, just in general, yeah. I mean, yeah. What, what did she save all the money for if she could have gone in there and been under assistance anyway? Well, except a lot of nursing homes don't want somebody who is a Medicaid recipient because that's oh, what would happen. Okay. She goes through what's known as the Medicaid spend down, spends mm-hmm. her resources, and then she becomes eligible once she's tapped out her money for Medicaid to pay, this federal state Medicaid program to pay for her stay. But a lot of times, if she's at all ambulatory, a lot of nursing homes put people out on the sidewalk. Mm -hmm. You know, because they don't take Medicaid recipients. And so they'll just put her out on the street. And there have been these terrible stories about nursing homes when somebody's cash runs out that they put them at a bus stop and just leave them there. Really? Oh, my goodness. That so, would be awful. So your mom is in a good place that the facility she's at is mm-hmm. one that doesn't walk its patients when they're right. out of money. Oh, so there are facilities like that. Okay. It's, it's I, common and routine that nursing homes will put somebody out once they're broke. Wow, I did not know that. Oh, so there's well, a good, good reason to save the money, and she's lucky that she's in a facility that's not walking her. Is it religious-affiliated in any way? Um, no, not really. No, in fact, it's a county-affiliated. County ah, then that explains it. Because, you know, when one has some affiliation with government or with religion, they usually do not walk people. But when one is just a regular for-profit nursing home, they routinely will put patients out and just say, have a nice life. And that's why having your own money or having a long-term care policy is so valuable. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. 
Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's time for Ask Clark. That's where you post a question for me at Clark.com. Producer Joel asks it for you. And Joel, what's up? Clark, Edward wants to know, what's a good website to go to for a list of discounts for veterans? Edward, I don't know what branch you served in, but thank you so much for your service to our country. Uh, Military.com is a great place to go. as a clearinghouse on the web. At Clark.com, we now have a military assistance guide, and one of the things we have on it are discounts and deals available to military personnel, and I just am so thankful to all the brave men and women who served today or have served in the past in the U.S. military. All right, Cynthia asks, what is your opinion on selling homes to companies like Knock, OfferPad, and We Buy Ugly Homes? Is it safe to sell to them? Uh, We Buy Ugly Homes is a different kind of business model than the others. Uh, We Buy Ugly Homes is really an effort when, let's say, as an example, an elderly relative has passed away and you are the administrator or executor who's got to dispose of the house. And the house kind of aged and needs a lot of work to it. That's the marketplace served by uh, We Buy Ugly Houses or any of the people who have the signs along the road that will do a quick sale to you. They do the fix-up. They make a spread for taking on that chore. Now, with OfferPad and Knock and the other newer entities that you can go on the web and then answer some questions, and then they give you back an offer of what they'll pay you for your home. What these companies do is they're looking for a typical home seller in a suburban community in a uh, mid-price kind of home. They're not looking to take on really inexpensive homes or really expensive homes in a market. What's really expensive varies by market. They're looking for the mid-market housing market where they can pretty well estimate what a home will bring in the marketplace. So you give up a little bit of what you might make for selling your home in return for the certainty that you are done with that home. I think it's no harm, no foul to see what one of these companies will offer you for your home. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. Thanks for tuning in to The Clark Howard Show today. And if you're like me, you like deals, we got our deal diggers hard at work at ClarkDeals.com that help you save money day in and day out. We work around the clock 
to find the best deals for your wallet, and they're on a variety of consumer items, check out ClarkDeals.com.